Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Today, we're starting a new series called Lost Then Found. Just a two-week series, but no less significant. Uh, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15. And so I want to invite you to, to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen as well. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start reading uh, from the first verse and do these first couple parables to set the stage. Jesus uh, has an audience around him. That's a mixed audience, and it's, it's the Pharisees looking on, but it's also the tax collectors and the sinners that are there too, and then the disciples. So as we're going through this story... In the next couple of weeks, I want you to, from time to time, place yourself in the shoes of the Pharisees as they would have heard it. And then I want you to place yourselves in the tax collector sinner and how they would have experienced that story, that parable. And then also the disciples, when they heard it, and they're kind of like, oh, what's Jesus doing here? And he's speaking in parables, and what does this mean? So there's a lot of different people hearing this, and now you're hearing it as well. And this is uh, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the, the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God with one sinner who repents. Now we're going to continue in just a moment with the scripture, but I just want to set this stage for you. Jesus is using two smaller parables, and they all are building on one another. You have sheep, and then you've got a lot of money, and then you've got the lost son. The sheep is lost, and everybody can relate to that as a agrarian uh, culture and a shepherding culture. And they're like, oh man, yeah, everybody has heard about that before. And so Jesus is relating to them with their own culture and their own language and what they would understand in the story. And saying, yeah, you guys have lost a sheep before, what do you do? Oh, okay. Isn't it a good feeling when that sheep is found? And then he talks about ten silver coins. And these little coins would have been about as big as the tip of your pinky. Maybe a little bit smaller than my pinky, but the tip of your pinky. And what this woman is talking about is she's lost part of her dollar. Something very important to her. And if you've ever seen a first century home, it's a dirt floor. And it's got kind of cracks and stuff. And sometimes it's got some flat rocks that it's built the house on. And they try to sweep it clean and flat, but if you lose one of those little coins in the crack, it'd be really hard to find. But she finds it, and she's like, oh, come rejoice with me. I've lost it, and, and I realized how valuable it was, and then I found it, and now I'm so overjoyed by it. 
And Jesus is setting this emotional stage for the people to hear and value how awesome finding things is after you lost them. Now I'm asking you guys, have you ever lost something before? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like a story right there. Yeah. <laughs> lost the Jordan, what did you lose? <laughs> oh, I know. You just you lost it. I know. I think George's going to be a pastor one day, by the way. Who lost it? Lost it. Yeah. Run.
itself rejoices and has parties and celebrates it. The heavenly palooza. Not just those maybe who are obviously lost, like the, the prodigal son in the story, but for those who, are, who think they are found based on their own merit and obeying the law. So we're going to go into verse 11 here. And we're going to walk through this. And we're going to only go through part of the story and pick it up next week. So I'm going to try to not make it so big of a cliffhanger. You know the ending, by the way, anyway. But, but uh, we're going to pick it up next week. But we're going to start verse 11. Jesus continues now and tells an even more dramatic story of loss of a son. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the other son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. All right, let's stop right there. This is, this is a segment, especially for the Pharisees who are listening. The one, you wouldn't go to your father and ask for your inheritance. You just wouldn't do that. That was a, a social slap in the face in the biggest way. And you definitely wouldn't then cash in. Maybe sometimes the father would, you know, divide the estate before he died just to make things clear before he died. But, but that was even quite rare. But for a son to go to the father and said, give me my share. And then he actually cashed in and said, okay, I'm taking this on the email. It was as if he was saying to his father, I wish he were dead. I mean, just totally turn his back on his father and say, just give me what I got coming to me. I'm out of here. And I don't care about you. And I don't care about this place. And I don't care about anything you have to offer. I'm going to do my own thing. And it was, must have been so painful for the father. But the Pharisees listening on are saying, man, a son like that would have been beaten, even for asking. And so do you think they have respect for the father? No, they don't. They're just like, man, that father is so weak. He gave it to him? He gave in? I would have beat my son if he would have said that to me. But, but see, that's the thing. There's so about merits and good works and all these different things that they're not even understanding grace. They're not even understanding the father and say, okay, is this what you want? You probably don't know what you're asking. And you're probably going to fall on your face, but... Maybe that's what's gonna, what it's going to take for you to come running back to me, hit the bottom so you can come home, rather than me just enabling you to have behavior. So the father's wise, the father is gracious, and the father says, yes, uh, we, I will agree to that. And so he gives this to his son. But here's the thing, it builds on each other. So not only does the son say, hey, can I, can I have my share? But then he cashes in, and then he goes and squanders it. This is something to the Pharisees. are like, you've got to be kidding me. Wasting money or, or like uh, being, uh, being, being, uh, not give me a word. Frivolous, yes. With money or just being careless with money. That was something that the Pharisees like, that is so wrong. And, and so Jesus knows this as he tells the story. He builds up this, this son. It's just somebody in the Pharisees' house. He's like, he's so wicked. And the tax collectors and sinners are like, oh, yeah, that was me. I think I did that too. You know, and, they're, and they're kind of feeling the pressure of the story as well, but from a different angle. 
And so after he had spent everything, so he didn't just spend some of it, he squandered the whole thing. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Fourth thing that the Pharisees would say, this guy is an idiot. You know, he asks for his father's estate, he cashes in, he goes and he squanders it, and now he can't take care of himself. He's in need. This would have been something that would have been just like the worst character of the Pharisees. But it gets worse. It gets worse. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Okay, so even now, he's in a foreign land. That's the fifth thing. What's this guy doing out of his own, not, not own nation? He's in some foreign country, associated with foreign people who are not connected with Yahweh and the land of the promise. He's, he's, he's over there. And now, sixthly, he hires himself out to a foreigner? No, it's usually the other way around. A foreigner just work for us. But to hire himself out to a foreigner? No way. This guy is... It's like the worst of the worst. And then, what does he actually end up doing? Seventh thing? That's just totally awful. He goes and he works with the pigs. And Jewish people love pigs. I mean, they, you know, they take a pig at every dinner. And, you know, they, they, they did not associate with pigs at all. They didn't raise them. They didn't eat pork. I mean, it was like, you don't do that. So this guy's breaking all the rules. All of them. And he's working with the pigs. Seven different things that he has offended the Pharisees about in this story. And then the kind of the last straw. Okay. Look at this. Verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He wanted pigs. How low can we go? He wanted to pick food. Even these pods, these pods it, it were, were considered unclean. So he's not only around unclean things, working with foreigners, but he also wants to eat unclean food that is forbidden in the law of Moses. But even that, then nobody gave him anything. So he failed at trying to be bad, you know? Can't be bad, good, right? But then it says here, he came to his senses. And he came to his senses, and he says, How many of my father's servants, hired servants, have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. All right, so you got the Pharisees who are listening to this and thinking, this guy is the worst of the worst. And then you got the tax collectors and sinners that are saying, yeah, I can relate to this guy. I've done a lot of these things. And Jesus is so genius when he tells a story because... He hits kind of both sides of the people or the crowd being listening, multiple sides. And this son, again, who has gone away from his father, has dishonored his father, dishonored his household, and done things that are just terrible, now he comes to his senses. 
He comes to his senses. And this is kind of the turning point in the parable. It's really the hardest decision in his life because when you failed, where do you want to go back? You don't want to go back there. When you left the house and tried to do it on your own and everything, the last thing you want to do is go back and face the person who you truly dishonored and offended. So this is a hard thing. This is an encourage, maybe a, a mixture of desperateness and courage. It's a hard thing to say, well, I blew it. I can't fix it. I cannot do anything about this. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't clean up my act. I, I have to go back to my father. He's really come to the end of himself. But he's not quite sure what to do except to figure out a way to fix it. Because he's looking at his father and thinking, my father is going to really put me in a category of service at the best. And so this is what he believes about his father, which is interesting. Why he left in the first place, he really didn't know his father's heart. You know, I don't even think he's so much sorry for what he did yet, but he's hungry. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life where, yeah, I'm kind of desperate and, and I just want it to change, but Man, I just haven't done the self-reflection of it, and I really maybe haven't repented of it, and I really think I deserve not to be in this situation. I've been in those positions before, too. We're, just, we're not really repentant. We're not really sorry yet, but we're desperate. He's learned how to make a mess. He's learned that this is not the path that he wants, but he's yet to learn the solution that does not rest in himself. But his need drives him into thinking about the good life he had with his father compared to where he is now. Even the most service as his father was cared for ten times better than this. And yes, a change of mind. Not yet a change of heart, but a change of mind. But again, he's thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't even know if my father will hire me. He's got to have shame and guilt and all these other things that he's carrying with him, but the desperateness outweighs those things. And so he heads home. My question for us this morning is this. How do we get back into our Father's house and make things right with him? We try all these different things of different ways that we need to to live and different patterns, and maybe if I do more good things, maybe if I show up for the Thanksgiving outreach, that'll, that'll get it going. Maybe it will. We try all these things, we really want to get into alignment, we just all kind of know we're not quite in alignment with the Father. We, we want to be, and there's days that we are, there's moments that we feel like that, but there are other moments that we feel like, oh, it's just, I just don't feel close to Him. I don't feel aligned. I'm not sure if my life is, is on track or making an impact the way he wants me to. All those different things. How do we get back into our Father's house? Not just make things right, perhaps. Maybe we need to do that, too. But, but just to get into alignment. I bet you when that son turned back towards home, there were moments along the way where he changed his mind. He's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I can't. I can't do it. I can't go back there. There's way too much shame. There's... There's way too much that I have to admit. Maybe I'll 
go to this town and figure it out. Maybe something else will happen. I bet it took him a while to go back home and he stopped along the way because of shame. He needed to overcome that that pride and that shame began to continue heading in the right direction. Even with a change of mind, without a change of heart. So often we find ourselves at the end of our road, we're, we're desperate to be rescued. And usually again, what motivates us initially is just wanting to, to get out of our situation. And wanting the blessing to start showering down again. But that, that's okay. That's okay, because it starts this change of heart after we have a change of mind. And we open ourselves and our hearts to the fact that we need God as that first step in ushering Him into our lives. The greatest thing we can do is be open to our need. Our need of Him. And that is when heaven begins to rouse the veil, if you will. It's happening. She's turning back to the Father. She has a change of mind. And they, because they know that when they get to the Father, that there's going to be a change of heart because the Father is so gracious. He's so good. It's going to open up this repentance to receive all the things that God wanted to give and the Father wants to give in such abundance. Something we can't really realize when we have our own strength and hey, I got all kinds of money, I got my heritage and all this kind of stuff that the son was thinking. He was strong, man. He didn't he didn't need a father. But he didn't realize how weak he was without the father. Until he came to a point of great need after doing all kinds of different things. And and that we see in that that, that was a blessing. And you see Jesus as he tells the story that he said, This is a blessing. Because he came to the end of himself so that his heart would be turned toward the Father. And how tragic for some people who never get to the end of themselves and, and always are, are in this point where they don't need, they're not desperate, and they don't realize how much they need the Father. They just keep going in their own thing. How tragic is that compared to a son who is totally lost, knows he's lost, and knows he needs to turn around and head back to the Father. The end of the story is so, so good. It's so beautiful. Out of the ashes, out of brokenness, God creates beauty and wholeness. And Jesus is saying this in the midst of the Pharisees. He's saying it to them. He's saying, you guys think that you are saved. You guys think you're okay. But you are so far away from the Father. You're doing great things. But your hearts are not aligned with the Father. And to the tax collectors and sinners at the same time, he's saying, you think that you are so far gone that the Father's not going to welcome you. You think that you're washed up and you don't, you don't have anything to offer the Father. Well, you're wrong because your Father is so gracious and turn to the Father and experience His love and forgiveness. You see, faith in how we approach the Father to Jesus alone is the great equalizer. For those who are far from Jesus because they think they can do it on their own and because and for those who are far from Jesus because they have failed to do it. Some who are failures that do it on their own, and some who think they're successful doing it on their own. Opposite sides of the spectrum both need to come to the throne of grace, to forgiveness, 
the father's heart. So next week, we're going to continue with the story. And it's a wonderful ending. You know what already, but we're going to kind of unpack that and, and see the other, the other half of what Jesus is trying to say to the tax collectors and sinners, to the Pharisees, and to the disciples. And I hope it encourages us as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your graciousness and for your mercy. And we thank you that you have ordered things so that heaven rejoices when we repent. When we turn away from our way and go to your way. No matter what we've done, good things or, or things that are, are not good, that are evil. It doesn't matter because both of those things, in both of those things, we need to turn towards you. And that's when heaven rejoices. When one sinner repents. We thank you that you made it this way, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. And give us the desperate and the pure, innocent, the vulnerable, surrendered faith like a child. That we would open ourselves up and say, Spirit, show us. Show us where we need to turn. Show us where we need to change. Show us where we're trying to, to gain our identity from all the things that we do. Forgive us and show us where we are trying to find our confidence in our good deeds. And give us the courage to surrender those things. For your glory and the transformation of our hearts so that you can use us to impact the world. We pray this in your name. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.